Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host Lucas Servodio, and I hope you brought your scalpel, dear listener, because you and I are about to dissect the Grey Lady. Okay, that was an admittedly weird intro, but it'll all make sense in just a moment. The New York Times dropped a list of the 25 best restaurants in Los Angeles right now. Coming on the heels of the paper's 2023 restaurant list a few weeks ago, critic at large Tejo Rao describes the new list as her quote-unquote current favorites in one of the greatest food cities in the world. Father Saul joins me to comb through the selected restaurants, opine on the quality of the list as a whole, and share a couple of Rao's choices that left us scratching our respective heads. We also ask ourselves the question, who is this list really for? What's the point of having so many similar lists floating around in the ether? And what would be an even better way to do this whole listicle journalism thing? But first, Father Saul and I round up the headlines to sift through what matters and what doesn't. There's a waste controversy at Erewhon, another round of harassment allegations at Nobu Malibu, and a sad landlord story affecting one of LA's most beloved Japanese cafes. We also talk robot food delivery, coffee omakase, and my new favorite topic, dining in the nude. We finish the episode off with a brand new segment called Bad Yelp Review, where we share a moment from the past week in which the people in our lives would have been justified in leaving us a shitty Yelp review as humans. Podcasting was going to be fun, they said. Without further ado, let's chow down. Welcoming back to the pod, a man who hates mornings more than he hates my intros, it's Father Saul. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Still accurate, by the way. That's the one, one thing that hasn't changed. Not a morning guy. Not a morning. Well, you, you know, you still text me sometimes at 6 a.m., so I, I, I would assume you've changed a little bit. I, I'm awake, but I'm not happy about it. Let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah. What do you hate more, being awake early in the morning or Lebanese food? Ooh, Honestly, being awake early. No, that wins out. That wins out. Even literally uh, waking up early is worse than racism, in my opinion. <laughs> I was going to say that in the intro, but I was like, hey, I, I can't say that. I, but you can. Of course I can. I'm allowed. So uh, what's what's going on? Have you eaten anything good today? I have not. I have not. I'm, I'm starving. I'm on like an unintentional day-long fast right now. The working conditions at LA Countdown, atrocious. Workplace standards, far below. I'm calling OSHA, not letting your employees eat and shit. Don't lie. We have free dog food in the cupboard. You just don't take <laughs> advantage of our benefits. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. No, I, I'm excited. This week, my parents are coming to town, visiting Seattle. I'm going to take them to some good spots, um, including some some top top new restaurants in the area, Hamdi, which is a Turkish spot, um, and and some others. I think we're going to a place called Violet, which does American omakase on Wednesday. Anyway, this isn't the Seattle food pod, but yeah, it should be a good week of eating. Shout out to our friends at the Seattle restaurant pod. Question for you, <laughs> is American omakase appropriation? I think it might be. <laughs> I think it might be because it's not – the thing is this. So it's American food sort of omak – like in a prefix menu, they just call omakase – from what I can tell, there's no other thing behind it, and I think I think it qualifies. I think it's stolen valor. I can't. I want a full review just to know how problematic it is after you go. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Well, speaking of problematic things, uh, some of our most problematic friends were in the news this week. I'm talking about Erewhon Market. Are you familiar with Erewhon, Saul? I'm familiar. I'm familiar with it more so as a meme. I think I've shopped there once at their like Grove branch or something. But for the most part, I know it only as an idea, not as an actual experience. For the people living under a rock, can you tell us what that idea or meme is? <laughs> well, it's ba- it's basically like it's like the uh it it like takes the celebrity high-end organic all-natural grocery store almost to a caricature of an extreme from what I understand, like have an asparagus sprout in water for $26 shit like that. Like whole foods, whole foods is richer. Like the goop of the food world. It's like, why do like, no one needs this, but we're all here and it's in LA and you might see Ryan Reynolds shopping or some shit like that. Yeah. It makes whole foods looks like John's not Fonz, John's. Uh, <laughs> It's the type of place where you go and get a smoothie for like 26 to $30 and it's 
that expensive because it's been co-created, quote unquote, by Haley Bieber, and it looks like a rainbow. There you so. Go. It's the type of place that you go for Instagram as much as you go for groceries. Of course, it is where the 1% shop and where I think you and I should also aspire to do our groceries someday if we're being honest. One day. One day. Well, their new location in Pasadena got into some hot water this week. A chef who was happening to walk by their compost bin by the name of Dana Brummer took took a video actually of an overflowing compost bin full of like perfectly good looking produce some of it still in its package and basically the chef took issue with Erewhon's food waste practices saying that there are plenty of charities that Erewhon could donate this kind of stuff to there's plenty of other ways to dispose of this kind of food and they posted it on social media and it caused quite a stir I mean Surely this is the one thing that a place like Erewhon should know how to do, right? Like pawn off their expensive produce to other people? <laughs> you know, this is, this is interesting. So I've actually, having not done, not heard of this issue before now, um, I know that the issue of grocery store waste is a broader one than just Erewhon, right? The whole dumpster diving, like whatever campaign where grocery stores have to throw out like throw out perfectly good items is something that sprouts does bonds does everyone does it whole foods does it and i'm not sure if erwan maybe you can enlighten me here if erwan was doing something they didn't have to do by throwing out but i also do think that grocery stores to avoid liability often do not donate expired foods or foods that did not sell so basically i'm an erwan truther and the chef has to get back in line but no, but the thing is this, if Erwan was throwing stuff out unnecessarily or I don't know, you, I'm sure there's ways to be creative here. That's the whole point. Like there's, most of this food is not bad. There's no reason to throw it out. And so, sure. Uh, the comments were an interesting place to learn things in, for, this particular, <laughs> uh, for this particular post. In the comments, people were basically saying like it's not all Erwan's fault. A lot of this has to do with the laws and basically there are certain yes. things that – Grocery stores and restaurants can and cannot donate depending on, you know, how expired something is, whether it's been opened, all these, all these factors, right? So a lot of people were trying to exonerate Erewhon from that in that sense. But also there were a lot of people saying, look, sure, that's true, but there are also better ways to do this. I, I think the biggest sort of like mea culpa or sense of or sort of admission of guilt came in the fact that Erwan commented on the post saying uh we want to take a moment to thank dana brummer for bringing this to our attention which means fuck you dude hate that you posted this as soon as we saw this we replied directly and took immediate action as a new store in pasadena we acknowledge that there may have been instances where our established protocol was not followed as it should have been we take this oversight seriously and we rectified it immediately so clearly there's uh there's something that they didn't do in this scenario which they usually do. Is there though that's so vague that they this is a, this is something that you can say that you say without really saying anything and it could be like they're referring to oh something was in compost and it should have been in recycling not that they have this whole like you know donating recycling program that they forgot to do. Some of the comments seem to point out that it was compost food composted food one and two like yeah, I'm not look this this kind of statement makes it seem like there is some admission of guilt, but because of it's it's so vague and broad, it really could just be like, hey, look, we're doing something, make it seem like we're doing something when really they're not and they don't have to. I see this mainly as less an airwalk problem and more a food policy problem, right? Because food policy is what like designs these regulations that prevent grocery stores from often being able to be more um, creative with their food waste. You know, there's actually a grocery store here in Capitol Hill, Seattle. Um, that's uh, specifically branded as a low waste grocery. Now I haven't been able to go visit yet. It's like a specialty small store, but I kind of be curious what they actually do, how much the, I feel like the grocery store has to completely redesign how it functions to actually be low waste. And a traditional grocery store following state and like federal policies for food waste are probably all stuck in a similar box for what they can and cannot do with the food that they don't sell. We have that low waste grocery store model here in Highland Park too, uh, which you know, if any neighborhood in LA is going to have it, it's probably going to be Highland Park. I I'm not sure that that refers to how they get rid of food. I think it's mostly that you walk in there and it's all like bulk items that you scoop up yourself into like right. reusable bags. So it's mostly like not 
wasting the packaging that it comes in. Right, right. Food waste wise, I know there's huge issues. I mean, I remember uh, at an old company I worked for, we went to go volunteer at the Midnight Mission downtown, and they do get a lot of donations from places like Starbucks, right? Where the food <laughs> is expired by like, it's not even expired. I think they can't sell it like the next day if it's right. not sold. Um, yeah. Doesn't mean it's expired, but it gets donated there and it's, it gets given to you know the unhoused. Now, it's not the same deal because it's not like getting loose produce off the shelves and just putting it in, put like giving it to a shelter. I'm sure that there's different thresholds, but maybe it's something we need to talk about further because I gotta say like this seems like a bad system. Yeah, no, it is. I, I mean, this is stuff that I remember reading about and getting engaged in back in college, back when I was an Enviro boy, back in, <laughs> doing doing the movement. And it was the same issue then, right? And I don't, I'm not sure how much stuff has changed, but that's like, I mean, look, this is just a, a viral moment, a locally viral moment, I'll, I think even, that just brings attention to an issue that's kind of cycled through quite a, a lot. And I don't know how much progress is made in really trying to, you know, address the issue of food waste in, in the United States. It's a huge, huge issue and a huge resource waste. Um, and Erewhon, look, if you're, at least, at least they're. I don't know what to say about Erwan doing it specifically. Besides, like it's kind of the most hilarious version of waste, right? Like, yeah. like they're my thirty dollars smoothies in the trash. Like Jesus. Yeah. No, it is. It is just like an especially bad look because of sort of the whole like one percent image that Erwan upholds. That you know, while we have people in the streets who don't have anything to eat. Erwan is not only charging you $80 for a, one single stock of asparagus, it's also throwing it out, out if it's yeah. not able to sell it. Yeah, totally. Look, well, I look forward to seeing you at Erwan next time uh, you're in town. But uh, in the meantime, I wanted to discuss another place that has uh, also found itself in some hot water. And this one is far more serious. Nobu has been sued again for sexual assault, harassment, and discrimination. Um, this happened for the first time a couple weeks ago, but it's specifically the Malibu location. And this isn't necessarily that surprising in and of itself. I mean, we know that this is a rampant issue in the industry. I just thought this was really interesting because very recently, David Chang on his podcast has big upped Nobu as sort of like the best restaurant in the world because of its the standards it upholds and sort of the fact that it operates like a machine. And I just, it, this one kind of floored me just because I was like, even this restaurant, which is supposed to operate like a Swiss watch, has these kinds of problems. And I'm just wondering what is so fundamentally broken about the restaurant work culture that this keeps happening, even at a place like Nobu. Look, there's always there's always some there's always free time for a little sexual harassment, right? <laughs> you can always find you can always find a moment. No, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, I, I look, I don't. I mean, look, I, I don't. I don't know. I, it can be just because a restaurant. What I will say, just because a restaurant has a high standard of food and efficiency, does not mean that does not have culture problems, right? Those are two. The, the those things are lauding. Like the, what what David Chang is lauding, it does not. Um, exclude bad behavior of course and i don't know i feel like places where you know powerful power kind of converges is like often ripe for abuse because people feel untouchable or they feel like i don't know i don't even i, I don't know what goes on in the heads but it seems to converge there right so no not a surprise no not a thing that i think speaks to anything beyond just a, a kind of rampant baseline culture uh in, in the industry. I mean, look, this isn't to say that this doesn't happen in other industries, right? Like sexual harassment and discrimination of this kind happens in all workplaces. But it does seem to over-index, at least from what we see in the news, in the restaurant industry. And, you know, you mentioned power. And sure, there was a power dynamic here in that it was like, you know, um, a male and a female, but it was also like um, floor manager, hostess, floor manager, hostess. Exactly. But bro, if a floor manager feels like they're untouchable, what kind of world are we living in? You're a floor manager. You're not like you're not like, you know, Harvey Weinstein. You're not wielding all this power that you can't get fired. You know what I mean? So 
I, I just think people don't people don't even know the boundaries sometimes. Like they just don't even know like what is appropriate work conduct in the restaurant setting. And I think that's just because it's gonna take a really long time to professionalize the restaurant industry the same way that other lines of work have been professionalized. Meaning like this kind of behavior has been like expected for decades. You know what I mean? Sure, we got the Me Too movement and that turned on the lights and it woke up a lot of people, but I don't think that changes the 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 in, the work environment overnight. Like the work environment is still incredibly stressful. It's still incredibly informal. Like it's a place you show up and you you're kind of like you're not at a desk, you know, you're not like uh, in informal meetings and conference rooms where there's sort of like a code of con- conduct that's built in. You're in these very like informal, high intensity situations. Um, and as we know, in high intensity situations, people make horrific decisions. It happens on political campaigns a lot, right? Um, it happens in sports. It happens in these sort of environments that aren't your traditional like workplaces. And to me, thinking about it, I think that's the issue. It's like, yes, we're we're imposing the same standards as corporate America on the restaurant industry, but I think we need we need different measures because like it's not as simple as like just showing people anti-harassment videos. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the point like I I'm not going to be able to psychoanalyze a harasser's mindset right before he does some shit on like on a restaurant floor, but I can I do think <laughs> You're onto something with the informality piece, right? And the non-traditional piece of it. And in terms of just like the the difficulty of overcoming the culture a bit more, right? I like I don't know. Like uh yeah, I I I don't think I'm equipped to fully, fully like fully figure out what's behind this and the pervasiveness of it, beyond knowing that power power changes dynamics in ways that are often abusive. And two, to your very point. I think fields that are high intensity and that are often informal and beyond the bounds of a normal sort of livelihood often create these these areas for kind of like ripe for bad behavior as well. Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I think I, there, there's something at, at some level, at some level, I think in places where this stuff happens a lot, it's because a leader or, or like a culture is not like a leader, an owner. A, a tone setter for that place has made it so that it's okay, right? And it has been communicated that it's either not a priority or that's just outright okay. Um, and so, yeah, that it'll probably be a whole, like at least a generation, if not, I don't know, forever before something like this gets like fundamentally solved. And it has to be like a whole like changing of the guard and a changing of like expectations and behavior and what success looks like, what respect looks like respect not meaning just like being respectful of others but like what earns respect in a, in a in a place right what kind of behavior and that all has to change so can i ask you do you do you get derive hope from like the next generation meaning like i i, I feel like the the depiction of the next generation of like kids basically that are in like you know middle school and whatnot um that we see on like netflix and shows like never have i ever and whatnot they're super woke. Like they're like they're really they're really like in tune with what is okay and what is not. Um, there's there's a there's like a deep sense of respect. There's a deep sense of like recognizing and sort of empathy, like of what other people are going through. Now, maybe I'm just like, you know, swallowing the Hollywood bullshit and that's not really <laughs> how it is. But like that does seem to be a stereotype of the next generation. Does that give you any hope for like, you know, you get a new generation into these kinds of jobs and culture falls soon? I mean, look, I, no, I, I think, I think, I think things tend to improve over time. I think that's less a, and I think on average, I think people tend to become more aware and more thoughtful. I'm sure, you know, the generation above us might've been looking down at ours and being like, Oh, look at look at how they, they learned about tolerance at school how woke is that or whatever they didn't say woke because they were old but uh <laughs> but but i no, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't put it that simply um i think uh for, first of all the shows that you're all citing were not written by gen z they were all written by millennials like mindy kaling right it's just like it's good point. to be that and and two like look there'll be some there'll be some progress there'll be some setback i think i think overall it'll hopefully be better i mean think about a generation ago restaurant culture was what worse i mean i've been Horrific. watching old old top chef seasons it's like all white dudes being pieces of, like and being douchebags 
I think there's yeah. at least an awareness that's being built over time, which I think would point us in a more positive momentum direction. Uh, at the same time, I'm not, I don't think that necessarily means things will going to be eradicated. But I think I'm no. Maybe I'll be a little bit more optimistic. I think there's like going to be like 50 years from now a, a really positive shift. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, in 50 years, you and I will be uh, will be dining exclusively at Applebee's early bird special. So <laughs> it'll be go. it'll be irrelevant <laughs> to us. Um, but we wish the future generation nothing but success. Look, speaking of bad behavior. I wanted to talk about a Stephanie Brejo piece that came out in the LA Times this week uh, regarding a situation at Suahiro, a, a well-loved cafe in Little Tokyo that um, is facing some pretty gnarly landlord issues and is being forced to move out of its longtime home in Little Tokyo to go to Historic Core downtown. That's not a huge move, but really the point of the article is the faces of historic neighborhoods are being changed by basically landlords who are money grabbing and there's there's some pretty like you know sad like anecdotes in the story about tactics that landlords employ to just get their tenants out no matter what's happening so like for example one of the things that really like made my skin crawl was this notion that not only did, the, did this dude raise the rent on Suahiro who's been there since like the 70s, right? He also refused to cash the checks that Suahiro was paying on time in order to be able to say that they weren't paying the rent on time and therefore have grounds for eviction. I mean, it's just the most abysmal behavior possible. And I don't understand how we can allow this to like happen. Like surely there must be laws against this. Uh, that was my first thought. doesn't seem legal. Uh... Bad landlord behavior uh, everywhere, and particularly in LA, impacting local places negatively is a trend now we've seen time and time again. Uh, that's real fucked up. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what more to say. And aside, aside from, can there is there not legal action that the place can take, especially hopefully given now the attention from the LA Times will um, bring some attention. But I, I have no idea how that's fucking legal. I think it's just like a loophole that they find basically, right? It's like if we don't cash the check, then they can't prove that they sent it in, you know, <laughs> like le like legally speaking. And then we have grounds for eviction. It it seems like there's got to be a better way. But yeah, I, I, I do think that there's got to be something that we can do as consumers too to kind of raise us think about this, right? Like meaning like this guy said he wants to start a boba shop or whatever in the place where Sewer Hero is, surely, I mean, the first and most obvious thing we should be able to do is fuck that boba shop, right? Uh, is that harming the right person? It would be my first question. Uh, to, I, I mean, no, I, 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 my understanding is that the, the, the owner himself was looking to start the boba shop. Okay, yeah, yeah. So then, yes, yeah, so you, can, you can boycott that. I will say, though, I, I think consumer action is, is, first of all, absolutely, you know, do, like, you know, be aware of poor behavior and make decisions on it. I feel like it's temporary, right? I feel like there's this is a bigger question about how we allow people to behave in in cities, how we how we design our cities to be built and kept and protected, um, and protected from things like gentrification and bad behavior. And it's I, I think there's a more fundamental question that most of the country's been dancing around for at least two decades now, if not more. And as as people get priced out of neighborhoods they've been in for decades and their families have been in for decades. And I don't think something as simple as consumer action necessarily like is the ultimate message. I don't know. It feels like but I mean, that's my take on that. Don't go to don't go drink boba. I think boba's gross anyway. Easy boycott. <laughs> but but I think it, it, it points out a more fundamental like tension and issue um about how these places are owned and built. Yeah, I mean, you're right about the consumer action. I think that's just my like initial reaction anytime I hear one of these stories. It's like, okay, this is easy, right? Boycott the new place, continue to support the old because Suahiro is still operating. They're just moving location, right? But yeah, consumer action, it's hard to sustain. I remember there was this place on Fairfax that was closing a vegan taqueria, Taco Vega, and basically they had said, okay, we, we are able to keep operating. Because after we announced we were going to close, 
the mm. community like rose up and started like showing up every day and buying a bunch of tacos and like you know we were able to make our margins all of a sudden unfortunately that didn't sustain itself right like yeah. like people people were inspired and they like went out there and bought the vegan tacos but then they were like you know what i'd rather keep going to kofax get my breakfast burrito i, I can't I, I can't live but nothing on nothing but vegan tacos for the rest of my life right so it's uh it only goes so far. We definitely need legislative action. But I think at first when I read the story, I was like, what's the point of a story like this? This happens all the time. You know, it's like landlords suck and they squeeze out their their tenants. We saw this happen with our beloved Sunset Beer, which, you know, we yep. still we still mourn all the time, right? Um, but I guess this is important in the in because like continuing to tell these stories, you know, it rallies people, it starts a conversation and Hopefully, it just needs to get to the right ears and and to the right powerful people that you know will care enough to do something about it. I think, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer in local media and local news, and hopefully, and I do think stories like this are important for people to understand the context in which they're living. But you're you're very right, right? Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think this problem of gentrification, I think, is a pretty sticky one, a pretty tricky one, right? And I don't think anyone's come up with like a clear vision of one way or the other that really satisfies like uh, enough of a constituency right but really I, I think people really struggle people on, on any side of the issue really struggle with like articulating what they think the right thing is or actually maybe maybe like a particular size like look it's just a simple either you can afford to pay here or you can and that's it that's like that simple your free market whatever more right-wing idea frankly like it, it's a simple art vision to articulate I think the one that says gentrification is an issue and we need to have protections and so on have a real tough time articulating what their vision of the world looks like um, in those places and, and, and like around. I, I don't know. Maybe it's very simple and I just don't know it, but it hasn't been articula articulated to me yet. Let me articulate an idea I just had to you, which is... I'm sure you're going to solve it right now. Jackpot, Look, that's, let's go. That's what we do on this podcast. We talk <laughs> things out and we solve the problems, Okay. So the thing that sticks out to me about Suahiro is it's kind of a historic institution, meaning like it yeah. it has been there for decades. It's one of the first like Japanese uh, diners of its kind. Um, it's definitely meant something to the community. You know, my thought is like, what if one one day like Philippe's owner downtown, right, um, decides that it wants to evict Philippe's? There would, I mean. There's really nothing I think that the owners can do unless they own the property, but we would lose a deeply historic institution in the city. So I wonder if certain restaurants, after they achieve a certain level of longevity and success or you know whatever designation it may be, deserve to like receive a historic designation that protects them in some way, shape, or form. I I, I mean... I like that idea. I feel like historic designations are actually really hard to get. And I also don't know what it means for an operating business to get a historic designation. I'm not trying to poo-poo. On its face, uh, in terms of presenting a vision, I kind of like the idea of being like, these are institutions, right? These are like places that defined an era of our city and are therefore going nowhere, right? Or, or I don't know, neighborhoods. I, I don't know. How, again, I don't know how it works beyond restaurants. Let's keep it in restaurants. But like, yeah, I, I kind of dig that idea. I'm sure there's a lot of complications with it, and I'm sure there are landlord rights that go along with it, and so on and so forth. But let's forget all the let's forget all the noise and say that would be cool. Uh, well, I'm all I'm going to say is like very politically popular move for a politician to say fuck the landlord. I'm going to give this beloved restaurant historic designation. Sure. And sure. I mean, this is this is easy points in the bank. Okay, I'm, I'm giving the city council free ideas here. <laughs> I'm pretty sure landlords have money <laughs> to spend on political <laughs> campaigns and people who are like, that's dope, do not or often do not. Although I don't, yeah. but yeah, free money, baby. Let's do it. Let's just say it is. Yeah. Okay. Look, I think that the actual strategy here is find shitty landlords, find the bad landlords, match that up with the places that get should get historic designation and get the ball rolling on it. Okay, city council. That's my <laughs> idea. Okay, look, uh, last newsy bit before we move to a new section of newsy bits, which I'm very excited for. Um, Great British Baking Show is coming back uh, this Friday. Are you a fan of the show? Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, that 
that's that on that. That no, no. Uh, seriously though, I think you should watch it because, like, hilariously, this is one of the most successful cooking and baking shows on the planet. And there are many reasons why, but I think it merits a discussion, and we should discuss it on a future pod. I mean, a more a more complete answer would be: I have seen one season of Great British Baking Show. I look as as is a theme on this podcast. Food competition shows are really our bag, right? Like, I will, I can get into any season of Great British Baking Show. I'm sure baking is not typically my area of interest, though. I think that's the one, th- the main thing holding me back. That like you bake a cake, fine. Like, I, I guess that's like. <laughs> Cool. It's kind of like the same thing every time to me. Uh, but I will, I will uh, track along with this one. I'm sure I'll enjoy it. I'm. I, I know my sister loves it. My family loves it. Um, some some good brown representation on Great British Baking Show. We got some good. Yeah. Got some good uh, South Asian diaspora showing up. Uh, but yeah, no, we'll check out this season, and I, I will, for the purposes of of this pod and our content, I'm looking forward to it. And that's how you can ensure you still get access to the dog food and LA Countdown HQ cupboards. <laughs> Listen, uh, have you ever baked anything successful in your life? Uh, I made beer bread once. That was real easy. I actually made that Sound- in our old apartment. I made a mess of it because after making the beer bread, I think I drank the rest of the beer and just like drunkenly ate the rest of it with my hands. <laughs> it's crumbs everywhere. I think that's just about it, though, in terms of baking. I really like like individual independent baking products. Oh, no. Chocolate chip cookies. I bake chocolate chip cookies from scratch. That doesn't count. Of course it counts. The cookies, they're the best. Yeah, they're the best, but it's also like, you know, the mac and cheese of baking. You know, it's it's hey, not. Counts. Count it. Count it. But yes, no, I've never baked like a cake or anything. Then, you know, I, I challenge you to approach watching the show just from like the perspective of these people are doing something remarkable that I can't do. Have some humility for once. I mean, okay? But the thing is this, I think you can do it. Baking is easy. Baking is, <laughs> cooking Cooking is genius. Cooking is jazz, right? And like creativity. Baking is like paint by numbers. Follow the shit. Figure it out. I don't even know how they fuck up. It's a science. Baking is science. <laughs> cooking is art. This is like no, a simple, no, 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 simple no, no. idea. This is wrong. And it's hard. And you know why it's hard? Because even on Top Chef, like what is the one thing that people like lose their shit on? It's when they have to make dessert and bake. You could well, get people who are – that's because well, they not, are not allowed recipes, and they're all chef, like cooks and not pastry chefs, right? And they don't have a recipe off top. That's why. And maybe, I don't know, maybe these folks, I assume they don't have recipes either. But, like, come on. Come on. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know, man. I, I, think, I think you are absolutely short-shrifting uh, bakers. But you know well, what? I, I'm looking forward to being proved wrong. I'm going to be watching every episode of the show being like, should have baked cookies. Just do yeah. the cookies, man. It's the best yeah. shit out there. You'll find out that there is an entire episode dedicated to biscuits and that there is like themes every episode. So if they baked a cookie on cake week, Paul Hollywood would be pissed. Hey, the cookie wasn't good enough. That's what I said. <laughs> All right. Look, uh, we're, we're going to move on to the big deal of the day here soon. But before we do that, I want to debut a new Newsy Bit segment I like to call Bad Idea or Horrible Idea. Okay? Let's do it. It's a fairly simple concept. I'm going to give you a, a new story that came out in the last couple of weeks, and you tell me bad idea or horrible idea and why, okay? Jen Harris of the Los Angeles Times wrote a pretty you know, compelling article about a naked dinner party she went to uh, somewhere in the valley, like Tarzana. It's, it's put on by this like organization called Food, F-U-D-E. Spelt like nude, and you basically it is, it is what it sounds like. You you pay hundred and fifty dollars to show up naked, surrender yourself, and have dinner with a bunch of strangers. Bad idea or horrible idea? Uh, the idea is horrible. The name is genius. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's that's hardcore. Idea of fuck. I I haven't like this sounds like a nightmare. I would never do this. Yes, and yes, you would, and I'll tell you in which scenario. We are going to make a bet on this no. podcast, <laughs> and the, the loser has to go to food by themselves. I kind of love it, bro. Yeah, yeah, we got to do it. Okay, like the future, uh, future Top Chef bet or something. We'll find the right bet, but the loser has to go. And I think that's, I think that's going to be one of the funniest things we ever do. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm gonna be. It's, it's it's so gross. It sounds so gross, dude. Just pubes in my pancakes. I don't want that. This sounds disgusting. I don't think they're serving pancakes, bro. Um, That's even worse then. Anyway. (laughs) All right. All right. Moving on to the next one. 
there was an Eater article about food delivery robots in Los Angeles and basically how they've like failed to take off. Do you guys have these in Seattle? I don't have them in Seattle, but I've seen them in LA actually, chugging along. Yeah, so like instead of DoorDash, uh, restaurants get in bed with these organizations that have these little robots. You know, they it it works apparently supposed to work for really short distance trips, uh, but apparently, you know, jury's out on whether it's working or not. Do you think food delivery robots are a bad idea or a horrible idea? I think they're an inevitable idea. Um, I think I think they're look. I- it's it's like a begrudging. Ah, it's gonna happen. It's not a bad like the only reason they haven't worked. I think one people like beat the shit out of them, right? And then two, I don't I don't know the other failures, but like I feel like this is something they're eventually gonna figure out. And hope. I mean, look, I I don't know. I when food delivery jobs are not, I think good jobs generally. Maybe I'm wrong, but they don't seem like they are. So uh, I don't know. Inevitable is what I'm gonna call this one. Fair enough. I I think it's a bad idea. Not a horrible idea. I think in it's. What, I think, in what way are they bad ideas, though? I think it's just bad in the same way that I think lime scooters are bad. In in, in that, like, they're just not gonna pick, pick like take off. Is what I mean. Like, well, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I, I I thought about that same comparison. The difference is here. Here's the fundamental difference. Lime scooters and all that shit were trying to fill a gap. Like they're trying to create demand when there wasn't any. They're trying to fill a need no one has. No one wanted it in the first place, especially in a city. Like, Wait, you're, telling mean, like, me, no. you're telling me you don't have a need to just look like a douchebag when you're going out to CVS? I, I don't have a need to get hit by as many cars as possible on my way to the grocery <laughs> store. I don't. I don't. And so, look, the American cities weren't built for that, and there wasn't demand. Right? They tried to, What they tried to do was like an Uber model where like they were like, oh, people will naturally not fail. There is a demand for food delivery. I think there just is going to consistently be a demand for food delivery. And so they're solving a, a problem. Not in like the reason that's different from the scooter thing is it's not reliant on consumer demand to actually make the business model work. It's already there. And so the reason I think it's inevitable is because it's becomes like a like it becomes a business cost slash supply chain thing as long as they're able to figure out the reliability and the consistency of the technology. Like by the like a, a food delivery robot that can keep your food like your pizza warm as it goes along to your house fifteen minutes is gonna take off, man. Just it's just a, a matter of when, not if, in my opinion. Well, they're creating jobs for your South Asian brothers because a lot of the uh, the uh, <laughs> workers. <laughs> what? what? Wait, are you gonna say the workers are gonna be designing and building the robots are South Asian? No, no, Jesus, how dare you! I'm I'm literally taking my information from the article itself, which is I think actually a big vulnerability for these companies uh-huh. is they say, oh, we're not we're not uh, displacing jobs, right? Like the people who are doing gig work now can do gig work for us using like their little controllers to control the the machines, right? Yeah. But the problem is they're not getting local workers. They're 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 getting workers in like Pakistan, India, right? Whoa. And yeah, and paying them like pennies on wait the dog. Minute, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. These workers in other countries are controlling a joystick in like Beverly Hills to like drive a robot down the street. Allegedly. That can't be that, right. Allegedly that, can't be that is right. that is what that is what is being alleged in in uh <laughs> In the piece, at least. That sounds like the most fun job ever. And of course, they're not working. I'm some dude in Pakistan being like, let's see what happens when I drive this robot into the street, baby. Let's go. <laughs> oh my God. Now we just, that's, like, that's like a national security like disaster waiting to happen. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> then I think this just went to horrible idea. Um, final bad idea or horrible idea. Coffee Omakase, the founder of Blue Bottle, is opening up Blue Bottle Studio, where you can go and pay way too much money to do a coffee omakase. Bad idea or horrible idea? This is a good idea. This is a good idea. Look, there are enough coffee nerds out there. I'm not saying it's a good idea for me or that I would want this, but there are enough coffee fucking snobs out there that would totally do a coffee omakase way overpriced, paying like 200 bucks or some shit for like eight shots. They would do it. I don't know how it works. I don't know how people are going to like survive the amount of coffee for an avocado or whatever, but like, I'm sure it'll work. I'm sure. Well, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, at worst, it's a bad idea, but it's not a horrible idea. I agree. I agree. Not a horrible idea because it will sell bad idea because I don't think it's going to deliver. What does coffee famously do? It, it kind of ruins your palate for whatever else you're going to be tasting. So like, 
that's why they never tell it. That's why they tell you don't have an espresso martini before dinner, have it after dinner because right. it'll ruin your palate and you won't be able to enjoy the meal. You're literally going in there, blowing out their palate with the first like coffee you taste. And then you want me to detect like notes of lavender and like coffee number three. Fuck you, bro. I want my money back. Couldn't they have a palate cleanser? There's a little seltzer water, a little, little something. I don't, I don't think any palate cleanser is powerful enough to like cleanse what co- the acidity of coffee does to your tongue. Uh, yeah, I guess fair enough. But look, it, in terms of like a, a, a idea, a couple suckers are gonna fall for. Sure. All right, and that's what you're all about. Look, we're gonna take a break, <laughs> and then when we come back, we're gonna discuss the big deal of the day, which is the New York Times 25 top restaurants in LA list. So our friends at the New York Times dropped a list of the 25 top restaurants in Los Angeles. This is on the heels of them dropping a list of the best restaurants in America, or I'm sorry, the restaurants that they're most excited about in America, uh, which included three LA restaurants on that list. Saul, have you seen these lists? I have seen them both. I'll focus on the one that's just the top restaurants in LA. Look, I read the list. It's a fine list, I guess. But a couple of things stick out about it. One, it's totally a list of someone who doesn't live in LA to me. It's like a list made up of all the restaurants you see on other lists that you look at when you're visiting LA. I know this because I'm literally that person. I'm looking <laughs> at this list and I'm like, these are the restaurants that I think are the best in LA because these are the restaurant only restaurants I got time to go to in a weekend or a week while I'm there. And look, maybe in that case, it's like appropriate for the LA Times audience. But I was like, just interesting that it was like a very, I think, it's a relatively superficial look. And just like the take a cream. What's our favorite of the cream of the crop in LA that everyone knows is the cream of the crop and that's agreed as the cream of the crop. They're not doing like their own deep reporting, I feel like. Two. Can I can I interrupt okay, go, go, go. you right yeah, there? Yeah. Let me yeah, interrupt yeah. you right there because the byline is literally Tejal Rao. And uh, it says, Tejal Rao is critic at large for the New York Times food section. She lives in Los Angeles. And that's the whole bio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. <laughs> critic at large for NY. Okay, whatever. I don't care. I'm sticking by it. I think Tejal Rao, I'm going to be disrespectful too. I think she's, uh, they're supposed to be really good. Um, yeah. yeah. But, but look, honest, honest take. Honest, yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I recognize the name. My bad. But still, honest take. Like, I'm, I, I look, from a New York Times reporter, I would have wanted, like, you got quarter sheets on here. You got, Sub- I mean, Subaki's good. But, like, all good spots. I don't disagree with the list, like I said. But I feel like when you do a list of LA, it's like, from the New York Times, no less. Uh, or maybe, or maybe, again, I can't decide if it's like the New York Times would should would and should go deeper and like try to like find some new like you know seed seed some new spots and ideas, or if it cuts in New York Times and it's covering LA, you just do this this pass. Uh, that that's one um, a hilarious catch <laughs> by by <laughs> you. Me scrolling right to Booze Cross Barbecue and being like, at least it's on there. Um, <laughs> the other take was, and this I guess also is like negated by what you pointed out, but like. Not not entirely. I just find it interesting. Look, the New York Times is like the paper of record. It's an international paper. What's the LA Times list of the best 25 restaurants in New York? Like, I don't know. Does Bill Addison ever feel like, yo, this is our backyard? Or like, I, it, it's a little, it, it it reminds me of like the the whole meltdown you had about New York, like big, big boying LA, which I made fun of you for. <laughs> At the time, and I can't remember exactly what that was about, but it was like at the time I was like, this feels like an overreaction. This feels a bit like like they're little boying in LA, bro. Like like stay out of our backyard. Yeah. <laughs> NIMBY NIMBY LA Times food criticism, man. Like get out of our backyard, New York. Yeah, look, I think there's a one big difference that I think makes this list acceptable, the fact that it even exists versus the fact that an LA Times restaurant list about New York makes less sense. And that's that the New York Times pays a reporter, an at-large critic, to live in Los Angeles full-time to cover California cuisine, right? Like that's, that is that reporter's beat. So we can argue about why do they do that? Does it make sense for their audience, right? But at least they have someone doing it. If we just sent Bill Addison to New York for a week to try like the hotspots, I, I, I'm sure he would come up with a great list, but like I would feel as a New Yorker, if I didn't agree with the list, more justified in disagreeing with it. Cause I'm like, who's this guy parachuting into our city who doesn't really understand 
our our the rhythm of of our city and our culinary scene telling us what the best restaurants in New York are right now. Like at least Rao lives here, right? And and I do think gets it. I, I do think this list shows that she gets it in my opinion. Okay, maybe I was reached for for a critique here. <laughs> I mean like look, I like I I I've been to a bunch of the restaurants on this list, which I like. I feel like maybe this is more like my insecurity of not living in LA coming out. That when I saw the list and I saw a handful of restaurants that I've been to on the list, I'm like, this can't be right. It's got to be better <laughs> shit than Bavel in, in, in LA. But no, I mean, Tejal is awesome. I know that. Um, she also wrote a critique of the bear back in June. I want to read that. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, good, good list from LA then or from, from the New York Times then. Can't be mad. Um, fucking had Pine and Crane for the first time recently in in August. That was great. Yeah, just just a solid spot. Then I, I think the, the the like things that we can take issue with on this list are that yes, it's it's very thirty thousand foot view, and <laughs> it does feel like. And I think I have this problem with most lists. Honestly, is that they for the most part, just seem to like recycle the same places over and over and over again. There's places on here like Morihiro, right? They choose Morihiro as their sushi place. Why that one? That one's on a bunch of other lists too, and I don't get why. Like, there there are so many amazing sushi restaurants in Los Angeles. It's literally like the cream of the crop. And when I see Morihiro appearing on so many different lists, two possible things happening. Either that is truly like God's gift to sushi, or there's a little bit of like lazy recycling reporting happening. And I'm not sure which is the answer, but I, 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 I am sometimes scared that it's the latter. And that makes me doubt the rest of the list. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't know. I, I wouldn't go as far to say it doubts, makes you doubt the rest of the list. Or, and I don't know, I don't know what is behind. Like, this is the same thing with Pizza Palace. Notice Pizza Palace suspiciously off all these lists now after its big like peak in 2020 what 2021 was it 2022 (laughs) still still a good spot but like there's something to that right where pj became like the flavor of the moment and you had to have it on your list and then a year later it's like we can all be honest it's just all right right just i (laughs) we can can put it off a list now so i think i think that not like saying the whole list is bad but i think there is always some phenomenon like that kind of happening um and it makes me feel like there's something missing right from the from from the landscape of how we assess the best restaurants it's almost like what you were describing where or i can't remember when like when the world's 50 best restaurants for example took took us number one and like retires it's almost like a hall of fame of the world's 50 yeah. best right i feel like there needs to be almost like a i don't know if it's historic landmark restaurants or something but like i wish there was a map that showed me hey in 2020 like not not have to go back and find the list and like cross reference and check if it's still open. Like a map that says back in 2020 this was a spot, and since then it's been like here, rank here, here, here. Like some kind of way to combine all this knowledge and all of this like all these opinions about the great spots and like overlay them over time so we can kind of see where places land. Um, I feel like there's some cool way to like combine that data that would be really interesting and maybe tell some stories about like who falls off the map. Who appears out of nowhere for no reason? Who was like really well renowned in like 1999 and has not been since, but is actually doing stuff that's just as good, right? Yeah, and people just forgot about it. Um, that's where like the Eater's Essential 38, I think, tries to do that a bit yeah, more. There were, like, I, they, I had them in mind as like the one place trying the hardest to like kind of keep that. But yeah, go on. Yeah, I, I think that for this one, the thing that kind of throws me a little bit is that. The title is the 25 best restaurants in Los Angeles right now. And there's some spots on there, which I don't think are like hot anymore. You know, like they're not, and I don't mean even hot, like hypey. I just mean like, I, are they still the best? Like Bavel is on there to your point, but shouldn't the list maybe include Safi's instead? Because it's, it's, it's the, it's sort of like the, if, if we're talking about the zeitgeist of Los Angeles right now, I mean, I think a lot of people would argue Safi's is is the is the mm-hmm. spot out of all those three restaurants in that group. That Safi's is the sort of like the spot right now between yep. uh, Bestia, Bavel, and Safi's. Also, a place like Birdie G's and Pajoli. Like, you know, p- part of me's torn because I'm always saying, okay, if a place isn't 
isn't new, does that mean that it stops being good? Um, and those places have been around for a few years and they don't feel like they're as hot anymore. But I wouldn't have that thought if they weren't framing this as the, as like the best restaurants right now. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. a little torn. I mean, yeah, it's, it's what I, like, and I don't know how that, those decisions are made. I will also say like, look, we went to in one weekend, both Anna Jack Thai, Thai Taco Tuesday and Poltergeist, for example. And not to beat a dead horse, we like everyone knows Diego's our guy. But why wouldn't Poltergeist be on a list of the best restaurants in LA right now? Not, I mean, look, just from a, to, from, a, from the very thing you said, right? Like, even if he has some dishes that kind of miss, it's he. I think captures that captures more of a moment right across the street from Zubaki, that like of where LA is at and like an exciting thing happening in LA than Pine and Crane. Maybe like I and Crane was a weird one, dude. Yeah, I agree. And so, like, I, I don't know. It, it's like it goes back to the same conversation as always, right? How, like, what defines them? How, like, who's for? What's the criteria? Tedgel's legit, like we know that. But like, what, when, why, how? Who's keeping track? Like, what does it mean over time? There needs to be like a, a proper historian of LA in the moment. I'm looking at you, bro. Like who That's is me. who? Who's the guy making the pyramid? What, what are the tier? Like what are the stories? Like really? That's right? what, what we need. Like what we, we need get? a pyramid. A pyramid, baby. <laughs> like a higher no. Like I, I but maybe right. Like something that's like what we every month we get these new lists of like the best spots, right? For for some other new criteria, whatever, right? Just like this this churn, and you just get caught up in this churn of new list, new list, new list, new list, because I'm sure it gets like top views for the media outlet. But I think there needs to be a more like someone who's not beholden to the clicks, who's passionate about the places, who's really kind of keeping track of who feels what about what when over time in this city. What are the institutions? What are the hot flashes? What are the places that are like consistently good? What are the places that are closing down? What are they getting replaced with? All that stuff. Like there's a real map of the city that, you know, maybe maybe a gold. He didn't like compile it in that way, of course, but like he had the knowledge base, Jonathan Gold, for it. Well, but he um, did the cool 101. To to go to a place. Yeah, he did the 101, and the 101 is cool over time as well. It'd be cool to like map restaurants on the 101 over time just alone, but I still think there's a different way to understand what's happening in the city versus like better than uh, top 25 hottest, top 25 best right now every couple months. I just don't I know agree. what it means. I, mean, like, I don't know what we're learning. No, this is fundamentally clickbait. And I I also do believe that like, yeah, I mean, and this is to be clear, this is good clickbait. Like this is quality clickbait. Yeah. As I said, this is a good list if you're if you're talking about it. I, I, I think there's some interesting choices. There's some left field choices, which I want to talk about real quick after this point. But these types of lists are are why this may be a, a big statement, but why some restaurants fail. And it's because yeah. yeah. It's because if you miss the train of getting on these lists, yeah. it's really hard to get back on. Because if you're not like on one of the lists, you know, your name doesn't get into the initial sort of like conversation. You don't make the eater list. You don't make the infatuation list. It's And then suddenly the New York Times list comes on and you have no like previous credentials. So maybe that, that critic hasn't even come to your restaurant because you weren't on the other lists and they've got a whole ass state to cover. I'm pretty sure Rao covers the entire state, not just Los Angeles. So right. I, I just feel like it, there's something so fundamentally like fucked about the way we do things. And I've heard from so many restaurateurs. Okay. My, my best example of this is Graw in Echo Park. <clears throat> Truly one of the most outstanding pizzerias I've had the pleasure of visiting in my entire life, let alone in <clears throat> Los Angeles. They never make a goddamn pizza list ever. And it's it's absolutely insane. Even like they, they put out lists of like the 21 best pizzerias in Los Angeles, right? LA Times. There's absolutely no way that Gras shouldn't make a 21 best list, mm. but it's missed the train. It's missed the train in my opinion. And I, I don't know if there's something behind the scenes where the people at Gras have done something to piss off the food media. I'm not sure. But like that's... I'm not saying Gra is going to fail because of that, but I've heard that it's like it's kind of like a incredulous, like kind of like painful thing for the restaurant tour. I can imagine, right? So yeah. we need more 101s and less things like this. We need more archives. We need more like uh, you news you can use as opposed to clickbait, right? Um, I don't know. It's I don't have a problem with this necessarily, but I do think like 
we're oversaturated in this category. Yeah, I know. I totally agree. Um, I, I mean, no why. Like you said, it, it's it's the click-worthy stuff. And I, and you're exactly right. I mean, I've watched it recently here in Seattle with a with a place I would like a lot called Layers. That was a food truck, got a brick and mortar. I've told you about it because the sandwich, a sandwich spot, you're doing a sandwich countdown right now. And I've watched them make all the lists, right? And it's really cool. But I also know there's a lot of like other cool places that have opened. That have, and I don't know why. It's like some mix of aesthetic. It's a mix of like, community outreach like how well liked the restaurant tour is like there like you have to like do the work to put yourself on the map to kind of make the lists and and be like worthwhile in the first place for people to go visit and i know you've done this a little bit on on your instagram for la countdown but like i wonder if at the end of the year we could like compile all the places that got lists mentioned and then take mm. them and then like go what are the places that did not get mentioned on any list and what are the best? What are the best of the rest? Right? What's the best Dude, of the world that is not on the list? That is such a good idea. We take like the top ten lists out there or something, yeah. and we and we just find the we find the holes, we yeah. find the missing pieces. That's gonna be the LA Food Podcast list, baby, baby. You just Let's nailed it. it. You just came up with content live I on the air. It. I love it. I saw food but, criticism. We solved food criticism. We solved um, uh, the whole like uh, sexual harassment, sexual harassment. And what was the other one? Uh, like gentrification, gentrification, bad yeah. landlords. Yeah, we solved a yeah, lot yeah. on this podcast. Look, I, really quickly, I want to tell you the, the five most left field spots on this on this list, which left me scratching my head. One was Needle. It's a place in Silver Lake, which makes I've heard of it. It's not bad. It's really not bad. It's, it's quite good. I went for my sandwich countdown. But to call it one of the best restaurants right now, I am very confused by that one. Um, the Ruby Fruit is a lesbian bar in Silver Lake, which, you know, I, I've been to because uh, Courtney Store of The Bear did a... Um, we know how you've uh, been. We know how you've been. <laughs> she, did, <laughs> she did a pop-up there uh, uh, with her Italian ice. Um, and it was, it was awesome. The Italian ice was awesome. But I've never heard anybody discuss their food before, and it's kind of bizarre that that's on this list well wait, wait. although i will say look it, shouldn't we give credit that it's not been on a list before right shouldn't we give credit for a couple of these we not were just complaining the, about how yeah yeah go ahead not not for the ruby fruit in my opinion because that okay. one's just bizarre in my opinion i like i'll go check it out i will i promise but like in my opinion that one's bizarre the one i will give rao credit for is ipo kapitian a malaysian place in alhambra <laughs> never heard of it Love that it's on this list. I love when places like that get love. I'm going to go check it out. I do take issue with like best restaurant in Los Angeles right now. Like why? Why now? You know, like, like th that's that's my question. But I like that shout. Other ones that left me scratching my head are Pine and Crane DTLA. I can only assume that because they've added breakfast to their menu, uh, hmm. Rao deems it a sort of like additionally like an additional reason why it's hot right now. And the other one is Machine. I, I really love Chef Jonathan. I love Machine. I love those tacos. But to pick Machine over the wide variety of tacos that there are in the city, especially when some I think are kind of more like firing at all cylinders right now, mm -hmm. I that one, I'd just be interested in knowing her reasoning. I'm not saying it's the yeah. wrong choice. I love Machine, but that one was out of left field for me a little bit. The reasoning piece is something I would like more of for, for any of these choices. There's like a, a brief paragraph for each. Look, it's a great, you know what we should also do at the end of the year, bro? We should rank, we should do a list of the best lists in LA. Yes. This past year. I love that. <laughs> ranking, I love that. Ranking best lists in LA. I think this one's up there, honestly. I think this one's like really, really up there. I have to like go try more of the places on it. Uh, I'm Dude, realizing did, I heard a needle from you. You did a yeah. full 180. You literally were like, <laughs> who's this list for? Oh, they're little brewing us. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I came in with an angle. I came in with a bias. I wanted to. I wanted to be spicy for the content. I did. That was my initial thought when I saw New York Times. That was. I saw the New York Times do a list of LA restaurants, and I'm like, why? And then it was Tejal Rao, and I was like, okay, fine. But no, I, I think. I think this is. I think a ranking of the best lists that we saw. Probably like like one from Infatuation, one from Eater, New York Times, LA Times. We can like do the best ones and then figure out who who nailed it. But yeah, yeah. we'll do it. I'm hungry as shit, man. Y'all been, <laughs> been making lists all year, reporters. We're going to list the best lists and give you a taste of your own medicine. Okay, before I let you go eat, we talked about doing one new segment, and that is Bad Yelp Review of the Week. 
Do you remember uh, us talking about this? We did. We did. This is our. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, listener, yeah, yeah, what what <laughs> listener, what this is is basically like we wanna we wanna give you a window into our life a little bit, and the way we're gonna do that is we're gonna share a moment that we each experienced this week in which our partners or other people in our life. Um, would have been justified in leaving us a shitty Yelp review in which we were not the best version of ourselves. Um, it seems like you did not put any thought into this, so I'm happy to go first. You go first. All right. So my wife, my lovely wife, is trying really hard to learn Italian. Um, and she's doing a fantastic job. She's doing an amazing job. Like, honestly, it's gotten to the point where we can converse uh, pretty comfortably as long as it's in the present tense. She hasn't gone to future or past yet. To practice Italian on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, we spend all day speaking Italian. We're just out running errands. We're like, you know, at the mall, whatever. I I didn't even know this. This is awesome. Yeah, well, you never ask. You never (laughs) ask, Saul. And basically, basically she's gotten really good. But I don't know if you've ever spent all day with someone, like, correcting them, like, like, constantly. It, it it can wear you kind of thin, right? I mean, and, Wait, and where, like where you or wear them thin. What no, because she wants to be she wants to know, like, am I got saying it, this it, right? Like it, she she wants it, to know it. but you know, I'm not gonna let her like screw up constantly because yeah, she's gotta <laughs> learn, but she won't learn if I don't correct her, right? So it was getting towards the end of the day. We we were, you know, looking down the barrel of like an hour drive home, and I was like not in a great mood because of that. And um, she kept making the same mistake. She kept using the word malo, which is Spanish, not Italian. And I broke. I broke. And we're in the car, and I just turned to her, and I was like, there is not a word in the Italian language that is malo. So get it out of your head. Get it out of your vocabulary. And I was just like, I was such a bitch. Like, I was such a bitch. And like, I, like, I, I heard it as I was saying it. I was like, dude, this is not cool. She's trying her best, you know? And um, she just looked at me like a, like a wounded puppy dog and was like, yeah, I guess we're done speaking Italian for today. I oh felt my like, God. I oh felt my like God. such a heel, bro. Such a heel. I damn, I have not seen you snap much like that. I maybe like once ever have I ever seen you like get to that level. It, it was more brutal. Like, yeah, it was more of like a passive aggressive tone than an aggressive tone, but it was yeah, yeah, it, yeah. No, it I was can big literally big. I can picture it and I can hear it. That's wild. One yeah. star, bro. One star for you. <laughs> yeah. Deserved, deserved. Deserved, deserved. All right, you Let's, got one? I don't you know what? I have a, I have a, some old ones. Let me see. The one that the, okay, the moment that made me think of this segment that me, not even me, maybe maybe I think it was Emily, but like we were in LA, so it was a couple of weeks old. Um, and I'll and I'll brainstorm new ones. I'm sure I'll have plenty by next week or whenever we do this again. We were in LA visiting for for our big August trip. Me, Emily, my sister, going to a bunch of restaurants, doing a ton of escape rooms, all that good stuff. One day we've been really busy running around in in, in the morning. We come home. It's hot as fuck outside. And I'm like, all right, I'm laying in bed. I want AC in bed for the next two hours before we hop out again. That's it. I decide to go to a coffee shop or something. And Emily's like, I'm going to go for a walk around Echo Park Lake. We're in Echo Park, back in the old hood, chilling out. She goes for this walk. And in my head, I'm like, it's 95 degrees. Echo Park, it, and like there's cement everywhere. It's an uphill walk both ways. We got a hill in between us. And it's not going to be nice. So I have this thought, and then I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go watch my YouTube vids. I'm going to lay in bed. <laughs> About 20 minutes later, I get a text, and it says, it's so hot. And I'm like, word. I get another text being like, I'm so tired. I- I'm tired. And like in a little emoji of like a sleepy face. And I go, again, I'm not doing this intentionally. I'm just like, I send a little Instagram video of cats to be supportive. And I'm like, send it. I think you're asking like for, for moral support. Again. Not thinking for a second anything else, being like, yeah, she knew it'd be hot. It's going to be hot. And she goes, <laughs> and then later, just like five minutes past, she sends another sleepy face. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm sleepy too, you know? Weird. <laughs> <laughs> she gets all the way home and she's like, you didn't come pick me up. And I was like, why would I pick you up? <laughs> she goes, it's so hot. And I was sending you the tired faces. I was so sad. And I was like, yeah. Did you want me to pick you? I, I was completely, I was completely, <laughs> all right, completely all right. lost. Completely okay. lost. Yeah. I'm going to give you three stars on this one because. Three stars. Wow. 
to be look, you weren't very perceptive. You were definitely yeah. selfish. You were, you know, like yeah, not yeah. very thoughtful, all these things. But she could have asked you to come pick you up. This, pick this up. is exactly right. This is exactly right. This is like the it was kind of, it, the 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 reason it was funny. It was like because of the lack of because of like the obliviousness of me as she's like doing it. Like I'm sending like completely useless stuff back in kind of a hilarious way. But I totally agree with you. I was like, you could have just said come pick me up, and it was like a. It just it was more of like a light on how oblivious I am than me being like an openly uh, abusive partner as you were in Italian to your, <laughs> to your wife. Um, so yeah, three. I like that we got to rate rate each other. I like this one star like for that. you, three star for me. I'm happy. With yep, that. yep. I'm sure you'll have plenty of one star moments in oh, your yeah, future. Oh yeah, I can't wait. I, I'll I'll bring some more of these in the future. This is a great segment. I like this a lot. I love it, bro. All right, bro. I'm gonna let you go eat because you you came on this podcast hangry, and I think the first five minutes of the podcast really reflect that. Just tell <laughs> tell us quickly what are you eating tonight? What am I eating? Probably oh, we got some uh, Rocco's pizza. I think that you tried Rocco's while you were oh, yeah. here in Seattle. It's solid, yeah, yeah. solid yeah, yeah. stuff. Just a solid New Yorky like old school slice. Um, can't wait. It's gonna hit the spot. All right, bro. Go eat. Thank you for doing this. Hell yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. Thanks, as always, to our guest, Father Saul, for gracing us with his dulcet tones. If you enjoyed what you heard today, listener, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating, a review, subscribe. It turns out those ratings and reviews really, really help us, so I'd be eternally grateful. Uh, We'll be back next week with another episode. But in the meantime, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at the LA Countdown. That's T-H-E-L-A-C-O-U-N-T-D-O-W-N. And you can also find me on Instagram at LA Food Pod. That's L-A-F-O-O-D-P-O-D.